You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Jets podcast for Wednesday, April 22nd, 2020. I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com. If you enjoy our show, subscribe to it and please leave it a good review. Those both help us out. Really appreciate it. Today we are going to do our weekly mailbag. Usually we do it on Thursday, but tomorrow is draft day. The first round of the NFL draft is scheduled to get underway tomorrow, so I'd like to spend the show talking about what the Jets should do with the 11th overall pick. So I decided to move the mailbag up to Wednesday, and you know, when you're on the podcast, you get to make those decisions. So we'll jump right in. Thanks to everybody who sent in your questions. We will get to as many of them as we can. And our first question was emailed to me from Joe. Joe asks, with, with Gronk being traded to the Bucks, what would your thoughts be on trying to trade for O.J. Howard? I know you are a huge Ryan Griffin fan, but having Chris Herndon and O.J. Howard as starting tight ends seems like a dangerous tight end to duo for Sam and a matchup nightmare for defensive coordinators. You know, usually I don't like the idea of trading draft picks for players, especially players on the last year of their contract as Howard is entering, and especially players who have been kind of disappointments. But I'll, I'll tell you, Joe, I, I actually like that idea. I don't think O.J. Howard is a bad player. I just think he was really overdrafted. I think that he's he's actually a fairly complete tight end, and I think that there's some untapped potential there. And, yeah, I, I like this idea. I think having two athletic tight ends who can stretch the field in Herndon and Howard, it would be good for Sam and also two big guys who can go up there and win you know, win contested balls in the air. I, I like that idea. If the price is like a day three pick, I think I would do that. I, I think that this is a really solid idea. I now uh, the, the only problem with this question is now that you've put the thought in my head, Joe, I'm going to be disappointed when it doesn't happen because I don't think the Jets are going to do it. But yeah, I, I like this idea a lot. I think Howard, I mean, he was only drafted, what, three years ago? And he's got potential. And the biggest problem with him were just the expectations were so high because he was a first-round pick. And he has not really reached that level. He has not really been what you'd call a successful first-round pick. But if he was picked a little bit later, you would say that that was a good pick. So I, I, I like this idea. I think that that would be, that, that'd be a way to go. Uh, next question from Dave. John, I was watching the Jets' last playoff win against New England following the 2010 season this weekend because why not? The Jets' front seven was not awesome but good enough to get coverage sacks. Obviously, the 2010 Jets team had vastly superior corner play with Rivas and Cromartie, but otherwise I did not think this current team's front seven, you could even throw in the safeties, is that far off from a playoff team. Of course, the offense is nowhere close to good enough, especially offensive line and wide receiver, but th is this defense just two starting corners and a serviceable pass rusher away from being good enough to play in a conference title game? Well, thanks for the question, Dave. Um, I'd look at this a couple, from a couple different angles is... I mean, first of all, saying, I mean, it's kind of tough to say you're two starting corners and a pass rusher away because those are, that's, it's difficult to find those things. And, you know, you look back to 2010, I mean, they didn't just have corners. They had Darrell Rivas, who was the best corner on the planet at that time, and Antonio Cromartie, who was pretty solid. Um, you know, Cromartie was very up and down. When Cromartie played well, he was a shutdown corner himself. So I think it's tough to say only a corner two couple corners and a pass rusher away ideally i'd like to see more than one pass rusher but more to your point dave 
I think that the defense, I think that this is a playoff deep caliber defense, even with the issues they have at corner and pass rusher. If you look at the pieces they have, I mean, they've, they're maybe the best in the league at safety up there at the linebacker position. And they're going to get CJ Mosley and Avery Williamson back this year. If Williamson stays, which, you know, there have been, so there have been some rumors about Williamson and look, I know I always say that linebacker doesn't drive the, the, the defense in today's NFL and I do believe that, but the defense is going to be better with C.J. Mosley back this year. If I, if my choices are C.J. Mosley or not C.J. Mosley, well, I'm going to take C.J. Mosley because it's going to make the, the defense better. And the defensive line's a lot of talent there. Not not necessarily superstars, but you and hopefully Quinn and Williams will make the leap this year. But, you know, you have Clendon and Fatukasi and Shepard and Anderson. So there's plenty of talent, and the Jets can stop the run. And I know it's a passing league, but stopping the run puts the other team in bad downs and distances and forces them to become one-dimensional. And when the other team's one-dimensional, they become easier to stop. Uh, so I, you know, I think that this defense is good enough to be a playoff-caliber defense. Now, if they want to get to the heights of those, uh, you know, the the early Rex Ryan teams, 09-2010, where the Jets may have had the best defense in the NFL, then yes, they're going to need to add top flight play at corner and edge rusher and but yeah i think that in other areas the 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 defense might be comparable i mean you remember that playoff game and that game sean ellis had a monster game maybe the best game sean ellis ever played with the jets and he was with the jets for what 10 11 years that was probably the best game he ever played and yet there were coverage sacks but the jets were playing coverage if i recall i think what the scheme was with the jets was New England, you know, New England had all the, all of those weapons in the middle of the field. So I think if I recall what they did was they just kind of let Revis and Cromarty match up on the outside receivers one-on-one because New England did not have great outside receivers. They had traded Randy Moss earlier that year. And I think like Dion Branch was their number one receiver and Dion Branch wasn't that good. Revis was, Revis could handle him easily. And they just loaded the middle of the field with defenders and clogged the passing lanes Brady had. And it was tough for Welker and the, you know, the tight ends New England had to get open. There were tight passing lanes. But the most, you know, one of the key parts of that was that the pass rushers had, had to eventually get there. And I remember the Jets were constantly rushing three. And they were, the pass rush was eventually, they weren't getting there immediately. And you're not going to get there immediately rushing three. But after a few seconds, they were able to get to Brady. Um, so yeah, that was a fun game. That was a fun game. I still remember it. We're closing in on 10 years later. It was still the last Jets playoff win. Uh, that was a fun game. That was that was a tremendous Jets defense. I don't, you know, the Jets are not on that level right now, but I, th- I don't think it's a championship-level defense. I do think it's a playoff-caliber defense, though, especially with the coaching they, they got out of Greg Williams. So I think if they add, you know, I think the, the, big, the biggest thing is the offense needs to improve. If the offense was where the defense was last year, if the offense was a good was if the offense in 2019 was as good as the 2019 defense the jets would have made the playoffs so i think of the two the the, the defense is definitely ahead of the offense and i think the defense is good enough for the jets to make the playoffs if they add the right pieces on the offense and let the offense carry the day locked on jets podcast here we're doing a wednesday mailbag show ahead of the nfl draft next question john forgive me if i'm mistaken but i think it was you who mentioned that a successful 2020 draft for the jets would be for jody to obtain three starters i'm not trying to downplay the other areas of need but i would imagine given the recent record of drafts and free agent signings that if we are indeed fortunate enough to get three starters 
it would consist of some combination of offensive line, wide receiver, and corner. Your thoughts? You know, I don't, I don't want to go like Mike Francesa on you and say I never said that. I, I don't recall saying three starters, and if I did say that, I think I may change my mind a little bit on that because I think back to 2006, which was one of the great Jets class, draft classes in history, and they really only got two starters out of that class. They got to Brickishaw, Ferguson, and Nick Mangold in the first round. And that's part of what made this class so special, but also what made the class so special was the players that they added after the first round. They added it wasn't that they added starters, but they added a lot of guys who were who ended up being valuable role players. They added Leon Washington. They added Brad Smith. They added Drew Coleman, who was a you know, Drew Coleman was not a great corner, but he was a pretty good dime back. And I think for a little stretch there, he played okay as the nickelback. And Eric Smith, who, you know, Jets fans have a bad memory of Eric Smith because in 2011, the Jets foolishly made him a starter. And he wasn't a starter, but he was a valuable sub-package guy, a guy who came in and nickel packages and played linebacker on passing downs. I mean, I think back to the 20, you know, we were just talking about the 2010 playoffs. He played a big role in both of the Jets' wins that year in the playoffs uh, in uh, New England, I mean, you still may remember that when he hit Wes Welker so hard that a piece of Welker's helmet went flying. And he, he was he made a huge play on a fake punt, and the week before against the Colts, he had a monster game against the Colts uh, when the Jets won in Indianapolis in the 2010 playoffs. He, uh, in fact, you know, if, if I look, if I list you the reasons the Jets won that night, it was a Saturday night game. Um, Probably the top would be the offensive line dominating the Colts in the second half, just pushing them around and allowing the Jets to, to run whenever they wanted. I would say Revis holding Reggie Wayne one catch, one yard. I would say the last drive after the, the Colts kicked a field goal late in the fourth quarter to take the lead. Antonio Cromartie had this monster return to set the Jets up. And then Mark Sanchez found Braylon Edwards uh, for a, a big pass that set up a field goal. After those, I'd say Eric Smith would be the biggest reason the Jets won that game. He had a huge night in, in, in Indianapolis. In, it was 2010 season. I guess the game actually took place January of 2011. But my point being, um, not to tell you the, the glories of Eric Smith, but point being is it's not just starters. It's about finding quality role players. And the Jets have not found good starters in the draft, but they also have done a really lousy job of finding good, good role players who can help the team move forward. I mean, every team is driven by every great team is driven by stars, but they also have role players who step up when when you need them. And the Jets haven't had those. And Jets got four of them in that 2006 draft to go with the two great offensive linemen. So it's tough to say because you know you're talking starters. You know, if you got a guy who was an average starter at 11, would you say that's a success? I, I don't know. But yeah, I think in general, I would probably say if I'm looking for the kind of draft I want out of the Jets, let's say, you know, two starters and a couple of role players. Now, hopefully these starters will be high end starters, you know, going back to what we just said about O.J. Howard. O.J. Howard's a decent player. He was not. I think you could call O.J. Howard a, a starter. I don't think you could say that he was a great pick for Tampa Bay, though, even though he was a starter relative to where he was taken. But I'd say, you know, two starters and but also role players, guys who, you know, can play sub packages guys who help you out on special teams, maybe return guys. You want to find those guys once you get to the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th rounds. That Those are important as well. So I think it's not just, you know, we always define draft success on round 1, round 2. And those things are important because it's really important to get starters out of the draft. 
but the good teams also find a way to find also tend to find value in the, in the later rounds next question uh marcus may what would you say is a fair contract after the year do you think that the jets will pay both him and jamal adams well i think one of the reasons i'd like to see the jets extend marcus may because marcus may is a good player and i think it's easy to lose track of how good of a player marcus may is because you have jamal adams who might be the best safety in the nfl but marcus may is really solid sidekick for jamal adams and I think one of the things that about Marcus May, if you listen to our show on Monday, Connor Rogers talked about DeBrickishaw Ferguson and how when DeBrickishaw Ferguson was playing well, you didn't you did you did not notice him. And that's kind of the way it is with an offensive lineman. When you are not noticing him, that's when he's playing really well. And I think the same thing can be said about Marcus May, because he's a guy who's a deep safety. He's not going to be near the, the line of scrimmage as much as Jamal Adams is. When Jamal Adams is making a play, you know it. Marcus May is making a play you don't really notice. You notice it if like Marcus May misses a tackle on third down to extend the drive. But what you don't notice are like the 15 plays in a row after that where he just does his job and prevents big plays from happening, always in the right spot. Marcus May is a good player. And the other thing is that the safety position in the NFL, there's not really a lot of guys making a ton of money. I went on overthecap.com, which the best resource for NFL contract information. There's only like 11 safeties making an annual salary of over $10 million. And I don't think Marcus May is a top 11 safety. I think he's a good player. I don't think he's a top 11 safety. So I don't think you're talking like $10 million a year. I'd guess, you know, wide range, maybe somewhere between 5 and 10 a year, some, maybe somewhere in that ballpark. I would do it because it was, we could analyze stuff as long as we want, but sometimes the analysis is as simple as, the Jets need more good players, not less good players. So I'm hopeful that the Jets will. And I'm hopeful Joe Douglas will extend both Marcus May and Jamal Adams. We'll see what happens. And I know when Joe Douglas went to Philadelphia, they had a lot of good homegrown players who they immediately extended right after Douglas uh, joined their front office. So I'm kind of hoping that's the model. Now, they had more good players than the Jets did, but I'm kind of hoping that's the model. And, you know, on the topic of Adams, like, I'm still trying to figure out why the media keeps keeps trying to trade him because, I, you know, there was a tweet from Adam Schefter last week about how Adams was skipping. I guess they're going to have, like, virtual workouts. And that's point A, okay? Jamal Adams skipping virtual workouts because he wants a new contract. That's point A. Point B is Jamal Adams is getting traded. I'm not really sure how we got from point A to point B. Point B seems very far away from point A. Guy skipping a couple virtual workouts. I, I'm still trying to figure out how that means he gets traded. You know, that, 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 those two things don't really... I, I'm trying to figure out the path from point A to point B on that one. And they make it out like Jamal Adams almost got traded to the Cowboys. Jamal Adams did not almost get traded to the Cowboys in, back in October. The two teams discussed it, and I mean, there, there was one report. Joe Douglas said that he wanted Zach Martin and a first-round pick for Adams, or something like that. Does that sound like a GM who wants to trade a player if he's demanding maybe the best guard in the NFL and a first-round pick? That sounds like Joe Douglas really wants to deal Jamal Adams. That sounds like Joe Douglas is saying, "Listen, if you give me an offer that's just too good to be true, I'll take it." But I'm, I'm no, not really interested in in. Uh, dealing this guy so i i'm hopeful i mean i don't know it's a new regime we don't know what their philosophies are exactly but looking at douglas's past i'm kind of hopeful that he's going to extend these two safeties because i mean uh, who else are the jets who else do the jets have to extend in the near future there aren't that many guys unfortunately locked on jets podcast we're doing our weekly mailbag show a day early this week on a wednesday 
our next question. Uh, how angry would you be on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, if the Jets drafted defensive players with their first two picks and they did not trade back to get other picks? Uh, you're talking to the wrong guy because at this point I think I'm smart enough to realize that I could be wrong on the draft. So I, I tend not to get too angry about picks unless it's like a really obvious, like a Hackenberg kind of ma- move. Uh, so I think the only thing that could really get me angry is if the Jets traded Jamal Adams and didn't get like two first round picks in return. That would get me angry. Outside of that, I'd like to give any of these guys a chance. Now, if the Jets drafted like a defensive line, a, a nose tackle or something like that in the first round, that would leave me a little puzzled. I mean, I'd be a little puzzled on that. But if the Jets like draft a corner or an edge guy, they need they need help there. Now, my personal priority would be offense because I think they need more help on offense. I think they need to invest in the offense long term. Not I'm not just talking 2020. I think they need to invest in the offense long term. But I can't say that you know if they drafted a corner or an edge or even you know even an Isaiah Simmons who I don't love. And I, I, don't, I shouldn't say that. Let me rephrase that. I, I do love as a prospect, but I don't love as a fit for the Jets. I, I couldn't if if it was like part of a plan where Greg Williams just wanted to overhaul the defense and just play lots of cover four, cover six, where you're not asking a lot of you're not asking the corners to cover much ground, and instead instead of asking the corners to cover a lot of ground, which is the typical defense in the NFL. You ask the corners to do little, and instead you have your linebackers and safeties cover a lot of ground. I could get behind that if you're, as long as you're building the defense around somebody like an Isaiah Simmons. So, you know, I think the draft. If you do this long enough, you realize that nobody really knows for sure about the draft, with very, with with a few exceptions. I'm going to leave myself a little bit of. A little bit of wiggle room on this because like there are some picks that are so stupid that you can see it at the time they're just ridiculous but barring one of those picks eh, i'm not gonna get i'm i'm gonna be a, a zero probably i'm gonna i guess the scale was one to ten so i can't it always drives me nuts when i say when somebody gives you a scale of one to ten and you say like 15 or you say zero so i'm gonna say one i won't be angry but i will be a bit puzzled next question will the jets win the draft the answer better be yes Yes, yes, the Jets. Yes, the, the Jets will win the draft. And the the person who left it also clarified that that was a joke. Um, next question: If the season is shortened to say ten or twelve games, and the Jets won the Super Bowl, would you view the accomplishment the same way as if they played sixteen games? Absolutely. Uh, you know, every team would be playing under the same rules. So just because it's unconventional, I I, I don't see any difference. I don't think I think it's just as valid of a Super Bowl win as any other team would have. I mean, look, they've played, the NFL's played shortened seasons before. I don't think anybody's ever questioned the validity of those champions, teams that won during like strike years. And, you know, you have to remember that it hasn't always been a 16 game season for years. It was a, the schedule was 14 games. So absolutely. Everybody's playing under the same rules. I don't think you can say that uh, a championship is any less valid playing under a shorter season than it is under the uh, regular length. Next question, uh, John, it's been advocated here and by others that it would probably be good for the Jets to trade down to acquire more picks given the needs that they need to address and to improve the odds of finding good players. With the team picking at the 11th spot, how far down in the first round would you be willing to drop down to? 
And would you have any concerns about the drop off in talent by trading out of the top 15 or 20? Well, as always, it depends on the specifics of the situation because you may have a guy who you've evaluated as like a generational talent. And I'm sorry for that's one of the most overused terms in the draft these days, generational talent. But say you do, you're probably going to want to take him if he's available to you when you are picking. And the, look, I don't have a problem going out of the top 10, out of the top 20, as long as you're compensated for it. It's going to cost you more. It's going to cost you more if you're asking me to move from 11 to 20 than it would be if you were asking me to move from 11 to 15. It's going to cost you even more if you're going to ask me to move from 11 to 25 and from 11 to 30. So if somebody offered me, say, like a fifth round pick, to move from 11 to 20, I probably would not do it because the fifth round pick's not that valuable. If somebody wanted me to move all the way down to 30 and was offering me a few, the 30th pick and a future first round pick, well, I'd probably do that because an extra first round pick is very valuable. So to answer your question, is, is I guess the question ultimately boils down to this. Is, is there a hypothetical point where I'd say, no matter what you're giving me, I will not move that low? No, there isn't uh, because there are still good players in the NFL there's still good players available even late in the first round. You know, in the NBA, it's a little bit different. NBA, you get to like the late stages of the lottery. It's kind of, you, your odds become, become kind of long. That's not so in the NFL. And I mean, the other point I always make about the NFL, and I'll just use a couple of examples here, is that sometimes teams have a tough time. Teams are pretty good about tell, figuring out who the good players are, but they're not as good at, figuring out the difference between good and great. You know, back in 2014, which was like this year's class projected as a very good receiver class, everybody said Sammy Watkins was going to be better than Odell Beckham Jr. And Sammy Watkins is not a bad player. Little injury prone, not a bad player. Obviously not better than Odell Beckham Jr. A year later, it was, I think it was a year later, it was Jadavian Clowney. And everybody said that I'm sorry, it was not a year later. It was the same draft. It was 2014. But everybody said that Jadavian Clowney was going to be better better than Khalil Mack. Hey, J- J- Jadavian Clowney is a good player, but Khalil, Khalil Mack is much better. So sometimes, sometimes these prognostications are wrong. And who's to say that Josh Jones will not be the best tackle from this class, even though he's outside the big four? Most people would have him fifth-rated tackle at best. Who's to say he won't be the best player from this class? It's difficult to say, and that's one of the. I think that's one of the reasons I, I'm in favor of trading down is that, many instances, the prior rankings are wrong, and there's a guy who's a consensus lower level player who ends up being better than the guys picked in front of him. So that's one of. The, I mean, that's part of the reason I, I think trading down is not a bad idea. But it look, it always depends on the specifics. I, it's tough to say. It's it really is. But to answer, I think the question ultimately what it was getting what it was getting at is: Is there a point that just too low to trade down, no matter what the compensation is? I say no. I say as long as the compensation is good enough, I'm fine trading down. That's all for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, if you enjoy this show, subscribe to it and leave it a good review. Hope you stay safe, everybody. We'll chat again tomorrow for draft day.